0: Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family this morning. We have a very fun treat today. Mike Moses, the founding and lead pastor for all of Lake Forest, is here to bring our message this morning. For those who would not know, for many, many years, more years than we were going to admit here on uh, the stream, for many, many years, Mike and I have been friends. He's been a coach to me. He's been an encourager to me. Ten years ago, when we were started, Mike and all of Lake Forest set us up to succeed. For that, we are forever thankful. Uh, At the end of this year, we'll be coming our own freestanding local church called Story Hill Church. Even when we do that, I trust Mike will still see my number pop up a lot as he is an encourager, a coach, and a friend to me. And we'll keep finding ways to do kindred work between our church and the whole of the Lake Forest family. But ladies and gentlemen, give a warm, and you at home, I can hear you through that thing give a warm lake forest davidson welcome to mike moses
1: thank you thank you michael thank you michael it's great to be here uh when i came in for worship practice i was a bit overcome and uh had to go off in a corner by myself because in 1998, Lake Forest Church was founded and we started in a roller skating rink. Today it's the GM dealership at exit 23. But it was a roller skating rink. I preached under a disco ball, so for one year I was the coolest pastor in the world. I've been getting less cooler ever since and Michael's been getting more cooler. Uh, In the year 2000, the roller skating rink shut down. It turns out a roller skating rink where teenagers are hanging outside smoking is not a good business model to combine with a preschool where you put your little Lake Norman babies. That just didn't work. So they shut down and gave us two weeks to find another place to worship. It's the year 2000. I'm like, "Oh my, what are we going to do? And so we were looking around at schools and stuff, and uh, I came over here to the Y, and me and a few other people, And we're like, man, this is some of the, in particular, some of the previously unchurched people finding life in Christ at our baby church. We're walking in and out, and they're part of the YMCA. So maybe it serves like the same type of folks in Lake Norman. And so I got the number of the executive director of the Y to be like, please, 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 please. We're about to be a homeless church. Uh, And I remember I was driving. I can remember where I was on uh, 321, driving to Blowing Rock to a dear friend of mine's place to work on sermons. uh, And I got the executive director on the phone. I was like, oh, great, because, like, I'm nobody. Her name was Georgia Kruger, and she's in this room today, I think I saw Georgia, Georgia was there and I said, you don't know me, we're this little baby church, you know, it's a little tiny thing, and, and uh, we need, we're going to need a place to meet, and she goes, yeah, we just haven't met yet, but I've been attending worship there for two or three Sundays, I haven't introduced myself yet, I said, well, we need a place to worship, and Georgia said, well, just this can staff meeting, we we're like, how can we use this building more for the glory of God? So the answer is yes. What Sunday do you all want to start? It was a 10-minute conversation with someone I'd never met. And we worshiped here for a while. uh, And then this little freshman, this gangly freshman at Davidson College comes walking through the door. What year was that, Michael? 2002. And the next year he was an RA, so he brought a ton of Davidson students with him because you know how cool he is. And that was, uh, he was the third or fourth Davidson student, but the tipping point. And we've been friends, and, and he was a pastor here for uh, as, of Missio Day at Lake Forest Huntersville in the time when then God led us and the elders. TJ was, uh, is an elder in the room who was part of this decision. God's called us to change up the math of church success at Lake Forest Church. Uh, and so we changed that math and from only just hey, it's a success if there's one more person in our church, to that's awesome, but the math is now to start one more church at a time that serves one more community of people who need the love of Jesus. In communities of people like us and not like us, one more church in communities of people near us and far away from us. And then Michael put up his hand and said, I feel called to start the first new church of Lake Forest in Davidson, I uh, trusted Michael. The elders trusted Michael. We're like, go. And, and here you are today. And I want to tell you that late, I'm going to now, on, on behalf of Lake Forest, Huntersville. Uh, so we sent out Michael, and then he stole Matt Glass from our worship team. <laughs> but you got to watch that guy. He, he will steal from you in a heartbeat. And then many of you who, who you felt called, uh, not all, certainly not all of you here because there's so many newer folks, but many of you came to launch this church. It was hard to say bye, relationally. I miss seeing a bunch of you in those days and now, but it was worth it based on how true you've stayed to your mission and how you become such a fruitful, missional, disciple-making community following Jesus together. People come from around to learn from this church. At Lake Forest Huntersville, we come back and learn From experimental things you're doing. We're just so proud of you. And we admire all that God has done in these 10-ish years. Yeah, your 10-year anniversary will be August. And we look forward to being kindred churches. That's the word Michael used earlier. It's a word in this zip code. Kindred churches in the future. Cheering one another on to love and good deeds in the name of Jesus as churches here in the Lake Norman area. Now, I'm gonna say one thing. There's only one way that you could disappoint me And Lake Forest Huntersville, and the remaining family, the rest of the Lake Forest churches will remain family and plant churches together. Here's the only way you can disappoint us as you become Story Hill Church. And I'm looking at you, TJ, representative of the elders here, uh, is if you become like a normal North American church and you decide, hey, we like being us. Isn't this cool? Like this is cool, it's great, and not just cool, it's dynamic, and God's doing stuff in our own lives, and it's powerful. Isn't this great? We like being us, and you know what? It's too expensive, it's too risky, and it's too hurtful to say goodbye to people relationally to send out people and money and start new creative gospel contextualized churches to serve new communities and populations. Let's just be us and be awesome. Don't become a normal North American church. Here's a fact. 95% of North American churches never plant one daughter church in their whole history. Only 1% plant more than one daughter church in their history. So as we're kindred churches, let's mutually mentor each other to be in that 1% because it's wonderful and miraculous when any person is touched by the love of God through Jesus and comes to know him. It's historically significant in the spread of the kingdom for 2,000 years when one new church to serve one new community to contextualize the gospel in a fresh way is started. So let's do that together. Hold on to the DNA of Lake Forest Church. And even as you become Story Hill, it's a cool name, I might steal it, Michael. We're considering changing our name, because that's just, it's so great. Okay, hey, let's have a sermon about the Word of God that was read earlier. Is that a good idea? Should I, the, the, our elder's getting nervous. He was tapping his wrist here. Um, like, when's the Bible coming? All right, I have a picture of my two sons, Dylan and Austin, at the age. I found this just for us today. This is the age they were when Lake Forest Church started worshiping in this gymnasium. Uh, at the whatever those ages were. And they would love to come. It was their treat to come for setup because they, we give we given chocolate milk and chocolate covered donuts and mom could sleep in and come to church at her own pace. And they ran all over this gym and thought they owned it. Okay, those, my boys, Dylan and Austin, when they were 15 and 16 years old, too late in life, I decided to teach them how to play golf. Unfortunately, they were already accomplished athletes. They played football with Chase back there and some others you played with them. They played football, so they were like strutting out there on the golf course. I'm coordinating. I'm an athlete. It's going to be coming golf. I've seen Dad watching it on TV way too much. This is it going to be easy. You just smack that thing. So we go out to Burkdale, I get a couple of buckets of balls, set them up, and I'm like, okay, guys, here's the deal. You know, they're warming up like this. Okay, guys, here's the thing. Watch me. You swing easy, and the ball goes straight and long. Like, Dad, you don't know anything. (laughs) I mean, golf is about hitting it long and hard. We're not going to do that. I'm like, guys, I promise you, swing easy, and you might hit it long and hard. They're like, Dad, we're athletes. We're football players. (laughs) So they stay. I'm like, okay, you do what you want. So they, (laughs) I promise you, I still remember, they stand up there, (gasps) they're just swinging out of their shoes. Like a wind pattern was created in Huntersville that day at exit 25. And the balls are going 90 degrees, right? Like 180 somehow magically, directly sideways, endangering the other people on the range. Not a single one in a vector about this wide toward you lovely people at home or listening online while you're on vacation in your car. It, it, and I said, guys, stop, stop, let's regroup. They're all sweaty, you know, Swing Shirts are untucked, which is not cool at a golf club. And I'm like, guys, one more time. Just tr- trust me. Swing easy. And, and, and I, I promise eventually it'll go long and straight. <sighs> okay, Dad, since you're old and you've played a lot of golf and we never have even one time, we'll trust you. And they were kind of coordinated. So so then they swung easy, long and straight and far. Because that time, they trusted me. That I knew something, they didn't. And life, I'll put on screen, is an adventure in trust. When we marry, what an act of trust. When we have children... In spite of our lack of money and know-how and, oh my, and my family was so messed up. When we have children, it's an act of trust. When we take a job, that's an act of trust. I'm entrusting my career that this isn't a toxic place. Life is an adventure and trust. And when this comes into play for our faith, I want to apply this extremely specifically in the story from 2 Kings chapter 5 this morning. When this comes into play is when it seems like God is asking, just like me to my sons, when it seems like God is asking us to do things we just don't understand. that just don't make any sense. that seem to be the opposite of what we would do. We survey our situation, our environment, our relationships, where we are in life, and then we look at what God calls us to do as revealed in God's authoritative word, which we believe here at Lake Forest Church. And we're like, I don't know, that just doesn't line up, uh, God. And we want to see, to be like, God, I'm not mad at you. I don't have anything against you, but this just doesn't make sense. It doesn't line up with, it's too far from what's normal with my peer group and what I have done in life up to this point. And so I don't understand. And God, how about, God, if you would pull apart the clouds and explain it to me, logically, I get it but what you're asking me to do with my life doesn't make sense at all. And choosing to act on that is one reason that we see millions of followers of Jesus with patchwork faith, not total faith. The part of God's will and God's revelation for my life that makes sense to me, I'm all about that. The parts that don't make sense, I'm going to leave that off my cafeteria tray as I go through the line, and this is a reason, one reason why many people live with a spiritual tepidness and a lack of vitality rather than the abundant life bubbling over to live with living water that Jesus offers us. On the surface, Lord, as I read the Bible, as I seek the counsel of older, wiser Christians, and I listen to a sermon and the Holy Spirit makes something come alive, doesn't make sense at all. When I talk to people, for example, let's be concrete, one of the biggest things that doesn't seem to make sense to folks, especially if they're new in their Christian faith, is this whole idea of giving financially through the church to God's work in this world. And if you've been in a good church that actually teaches what's in the Old and New Testament, um, you will have seen it over and over. God says, man, you get to participate. You get to create meaning in your money, peace in your household about money, and, and joy by participating in the spread of God's kingdom in this world by giving financially. That's just how he's set it up, regardless of our financial situation. So somebody comes who is living up to, a typical Lake Norman person, No matter how much they make. You guys know this about, not you, but your neighbors. No matter how much they make, if they're making this much, this much, or this much, where are they living in expenses and debt ratio? i got to keep my head up out of Lake Norman. i got to get some more money. They're living there, and they're like, this doesn't make sense. Why would God ask me to do that when my margin is like negative 0.2%? Or a divorced man or woman comes here. We're a church of grace. Love to see people find new life in God's new plan A. Seeing God do that over and over. He's always got a new plan and it's a plan A not a plan B. And a divorced person, I, I had this conversation in my office a few months ago. Mike, I get what the Bible says that God created sex as a gift to be expressed solely in a a a husband and wife and marriage. I get that and all that stuff. Dude, I was married. I lived with somebody for a bunch of years and we occasionally did that. Does God really expect me to be celibate now that I'm single again? It's just not realistic. I mean, that must be for teenagers in a youth group, but not for me. Or somebody says, Mike, I know what God says about being honest and ethical at all times, and then you just trust God with the outcome. But my industry, my job, are driven by dishonesty, exaggeration, and deceit. Even if I just have to shade it a bit, how in the world could I change and yet still survive and thrive and wealth build where I feel like God has called me? That can't apply to me at work. I I just don't understand. Yet at some point... In your search to grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. And that impulse is what brings you here. Or, or your your search for the spiritual life and the truth that you're looking for. At some point you'll run into something in God's word where God is beginning to deal with you personally. You're like, whoop and you feel it singled out a bit by the Holy Spirit. And you're at a crossroads. God, I want to be on your team. I acknowledge you. I love you. I want the abundant life you promise is possible. I want to influence others, but that thing doesn't make sense. I don't understand. And we want him to explain himself before we follow in this part of our life. If you have your Bibles and you haven't turned already, turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. Here. And I'm going to leave it to your pastors to explain weekly where exactly we are in the whole story of the whole Bible in a whole year. That's been super awesome for Lake Forest Huntersville. I hope it's been as fruitful and engaging for you guys here at Lake Forest Davidson. But very briefly, we're in the part of the story where God has adopted the people Israel to love them and use them as his instrument to begin to redeem sin, brokenness, and death in this world that separates humans from God. And ultimately, he'll birth Jesus the Messiah to redeem the whole world and all of history. And that will be Israel's gift to the world. But in today's stories, we're seeing one teeny tiny example, just one glimmering light of Israel following through on on a part of God's mission that they generally weren't good at. And that is offering other people outside of Israel the knowledge of Yahweh. There's one good God he loves you. He does have a plan for your life. And he wants you to worship him. Second Kings 5, which was read earlier. Verse 1. Now Naaman was a commander of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. Because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria. Samaria is a region of, the, of ancient Israel, God's people at this time. This is about the 800s BC. He would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman, verse four, Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram said. I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, a bunch of gold, and a bunch of clothing. See, next to ancient Israel was this country, Aram. And if you're doing Bible journey, you're familiar with these maps. Uh, And and if you've watched the TV show Vikings at all, the Arameans were like them. Every springtime, they were like, oh, it's spring. Where are we going to go find some villages to rape and pillage and steal some stuff? And that was just how they got stuff. They would take from Israel during this time, crops, silver, gold, rather than producing it themselves. They were raiding culture, and they would often take prisoners. And this is where the young girl came from. They they had abducted this young woman from Israel, and she is a servant in the household of this general, Naaman. Now, Naaman was probably the second most powerful man in this little nation of Aram. So this was a national catastrophe for such a figure to come down with leprosy. Leprosy was much like the cancer of our day. There's a lot of fear about it, and it most often seemed to kill. It was also like AIDS back in the 1980s, in that there was fear involved. How does this happen? And the people who suffered from it were ostracized socially, relationally, and familially, not only hurting physically, but therefore hurting for the love of other people. And it must be early on in his disease. So the young Jewish girl goes to Naaman and his wife and goes, there's a prophet in Israel. You know where you stole me from? Whole other story. Uh, You know that? But, but, But the one true God has a prophet there and he can heal you. So Naaman assumes, oh, if there's like somebody who could do something that big, I know how paganism works. It's always the king that God works through. You remember God had said to Israel, you don't need a king, let me be your king. But Israel said, no, no, we want want to be like other people. (laughs) Like, God, we don't understand why we shouldn't have a king, so we're going to do it anyway. (laughs) Uh, But because in paganism, it was the king would consolidate power and speaking for God. So Naaman assumes it must be the king of Israel, and he goes with an entourage with gold and silver and other gifts to this powerful king who supposedly can magically heal leprosy on behalf of this God they've heard about Yahweh in Israel. It was a long shot. Verse 6. With this letter, the the king of Aram says, I'm sending my servant Naaman so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Verse 7. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, this is interesting, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back life? Why does this fellow, the king of Aram, send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. The king of Israel is like, Aram is just trying to figure out a way now to justify their next raiding party of Israel. I can't, the king of Israel is like, I can't heal somebody. He's creating a pretext to invade like they always do. Fortunately, the royal house of Israel was full of leaks, <laughs> just like every kingdom and government always has been And this news leaked of what was going on. Uh, and somebody important to find out about it. The head of the prophets of Israel, Elisha. Elisha is upon whom in this generation God had decided his Holy Spirit would rest uniquely and supernaturally, upholding the true revelation of Yahweh in a very dark time. Today... Put your faith in Jesus. He promises an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to live in every one of us who says yes, and we may do his works. But the Holy Spirit was on Elisha. Verse 8. When Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Come on, man. Why did you do that? Have the man come to me. Oh, he'll know there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha, by the way, was not a pet prophet to the king. He lived separate from the palace in a different place. That's an important detail. Verse 10, Elisha sent a messenger out. Elisha didn't even go out himself. To say to Naaman, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Verse 11, but Naaman went away angry and said, and here are the two key words this morning, I thought... Can everybody say, I thought? I thought. Those of you worshiping at home or driving in your car, raise your little pinky finger to show that you're all on board with us and say, I thought, all together. I thought the prophet would surely come out to me and stand and call the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand like Gandalf over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Leprosy, verse 12. Are not the rivers in my country better than the waters in your country? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned off and went in a rage. (laughs) I love this. I thought, I thought we are all, let me put this on screen, an I thought kind of person. When God asks us to do something that we don't understand in his will. And I just want to say this morning, you and I will never grow more spiritually into the mature, peaceful, joy-bringing, contented, wise, spiritual oak tree who gives cool shade to others that you want to be until we, you acknowledge this about yourself and you start acting out of trust toward the God you love and the Jesus you follow rather than, I thought... Here's how Naaman was an I thought person. He pulls up. He's got a picture in his mind of how this is going to go, right? Elisha's going to come out, probably bow down to him, acknowledge how important he is, and then do magic. There'll be some sparks. But instead, this a messenger, probably a teenager, pops his head out of the house. Sir, you're going to go to the Jordan River, that little trickle of water here in Israel. And dip yourself seven times and you'll be cured. And then he goes back in the house. He doesn't want leprosy. And so here's where I think this starts to touch our lives today. Here's what it sounds like, maybe. Uh, So for him, he's like, what does dipping seven times in in the Jordan River have to do with leprosy? I need healing, not a bath, and I got better rivers at home. Here's how this sounds like today. I went finally to a marriage counselor. I thought she'd say, you're right, your wife needs to change. (laughs) But she said, I have two problems that I need to deal with. And let her deal with her problems first. So Pastor Mike, I told you, counsel is stupid. (laughs) Do you know how many times I've heard a version of that (laughs) in my office through all of these years? And you know what? That's where I am a lot of times. That's where you may be sometimes. God, I'm here because I believe in you and I love you. And I see what you're asking me to do through wise counsel that lines up with your word and the counsel of the Holy Spirit. But I don't understand the connection. And, and, and one writer says, why does God do this some way at times when we can't understand why? Why? One commentator says sometimes it's to pose the question to you and me. Is my focus in my spiritual life following Jesus on uh, uh, the reason or the relationship? Am I really living a dynamic personal relationship with God through Jesus? Or am I just trying to do rationality of what's right and wrong and what's moralistic and what's correct? Sometimes God may be yanking our chain. Do you trust me? relationally. I think there are other times when we don't understand what God's asking us to do because His ways are higher than our ways. Duh, if He's God, it's kind of baked into what we believe. Then there's going to be some stuff we can't figure out. This entire side of heaven. And then sometimes He asks us to do things that we can't understand because there are some things that must existentially be actually done and obeyed to get inside of the space to understand it from within. Let's read verse 13. See what happens next. Verse 13. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more when he tells you to wash and be cleansed? Right? They were packing up. He's pitching a fit. I'm not doing that dumb little minor thing. He didn't ask me to do something big enough. And luckily he had built... He had this going for him as a military commander. He listened to the counsel of those around him, including those subordinate, which is why we all need a mentor, a peer mentor, mentor ahead of us, and Christian community that we give permission to speak to us when we're about to do a, well, I thought moment and go off the rails with the Lord. So he had that. That was wise living. And they're like, wouldn't you have done it if it was something big? Like, if he said, You must climb Mount Mitchell and bring back the scalps of seven Bigfoots. Naaman, wouldn't you have done that? He's like, Oh, yeah, I wish he would have said that. I'd I love to go. That's, that's like the pagan heroic journey kind of thing. And this reminds me of googly eyed conversations people have with me sometimes as pastor on a Sunday. Oh, my gosh, my, today was, was great. I'm so inspired. Man, today. Yesterday, I was blah, 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 blah. Today, from now, I'm going to live for Jesus. Oh, I'm so inspired to worship in the Word today. It was just so amazing. And it didn't even involve Matt Glass at Lake Forest Huntersville. I am so I felt the Holy Spirit. I'm just ready. And then they'll look at me with these googly eyes. Like I know something. Like, what do I do to keep the Jesus juice flowing in me? Because I love what I'm doing, feeling right now. They want something big. Now it's kind of be quiet and eventually get around to going, well, to keep the Jesus juice going, read your Bible, because God's speaking to you daily and talk back to Him about your real life. To keep the Jesus juice flowing, get into a committed small group of other people following Jesus who are studying the scriptures, loving on each other, doing all the one another's in the New Testament. To keep the Jesus juice flowing, find a way to serve in your church to help other people grow spiritually like folks here this morning, and to keep the Jesus juice flowing, discover your holy hurt of what's gone wrong in this world that God cares about and give time, money, and effort on God's mission of love to heal that part of his holy hurt through the Holy Spirit. And they won't usually say it, but I can see behind those googly eyeballs like, Okay, Pastor Mike, you and I both know I'm not going to read the Bible very much. I mean, really, does anybody really do that? Isn't that just something you guys say? Because you have to, like you get paid to say that. Uh, And pray every day. I mean, come on, Mike, That's, that's just, that's not scaling Mount Everest to look for Bigfoot. And I already got a peer group. I don't really have time to hang around with a bunch of weird Christians studying the Bible and all that other stuff. Uh, And they sort of slink off waiting for the next big thing, the next moment of a high. And I think that's Naaman here and I think we all maybe can relate and understand because God's word says there are ways to live in rhythm and synchronicity with Jesus the Father and the Holy Spirit that are ordinary means of grace available to us daily. And they rebound like a snowball rolling downhill over time and repeated Obedience in a long, same direction. In the words of Eugene Peterson. And God wants us to know that trusting him in the things we don't understand is a way of, of, of not just doing good and bad things or heroic things. That life with God is about relationship. And the essence of any good relationship at some point is Trust. And we need to make sure that we're really genuinely, day by day, trusting God the Father through Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, not simply living by our rationality, what makes sense to us, the morality in, in my exist, pre-existing subculture, and the parts of that that agree with the Bible, awesome, the parts that don't, no, nah, I'm not going to trust God there. It doesn't work rationally or culturally for me. Let me give you an example from my own life. Uh, since we're in the presence of a bunch of college students or almost college students or college age, uh, when I went off to college my freshman year uh, to the College of William & Mary, <clears throat> I tried to do what I've, my youth pastor told me the Bible teaches, which is if you want to be a spiritual person, be sure you find fellowship in your new place. Plug into a campus fellowship because God says worship every seven days in a church and be with other people who love Jesus. And I was like, okay. And what I thought is that it would be easy and awesome. I'm like, this is going to be great. My high school youth group was lame. This is going to be amazing. And so I show up freshman year, and I start visiting all the fellowships on campus because I really believed like that that's going to be best for me spiritually. My faith is going to get challenged during those years. And I visited them, and what I thought <laughs> didn't come to pass. I thought every one of them was weird. I thought the people were weird. I thought the leaders were like, I don't know that I want to learn from that person. All of the major campus fellowships. It was different than what I thought would be awesome and amazing. And thankfully, probably only because I had such strong mentors in my life through the youth group in my church and my youth pastor, I persevered and was like, yeah, but I'm going to have to trust that what my youth leader Greg says is true, and I'm going to have to trust what's in God's word, do not give up meeting together weekly with God's people. I'm going to have to trust that that's best for me, even though it seems weird right now. And so I made a, a really cl- I remember the night, I was like, okay, God, I'm going to commit to one of these weird fellowships. I mean, they probably thought I was weird too. <laughs> and I did, I committed in, and it was still weird. That didn't open up the floodgates. <laughs> but we were learning God's word. And I began growing spiritually in a way I never had in high school. And then I, as I stayed in there, I found out a couple months later, one of the many sovereign reasons God had said, trust me, do this. Because on the freshman retreat, I met this girl. I think I have a picture. Angie and Insinius, who's now my wife. Yeah, I continued to grow spiritually, like a weed, all through college years. Isn't your life and mine a string of stories? If you're a person of faith, okay? Stories where you trusted God and you were glad, stories where you didn't trust God and you regretted it. I'm glad for that one. I can tell you some stories of regret. But we don't have time for all of those. (laughs) And many of you may be here today because there was a time in life when you did trust God fully. But it's been a long time since that was true of your life, of following through on the life of someone who trusts God relationally. And you're hungry for that again. You want to trust Him and you want the life in flow with the way of Jesus that maybe you had once before. Verse 14 So Naaman trusts, finally. And he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. Verse 14, And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Verse 15, Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God, stood before him, and said, Hey, my leprosy's gone. He didn't say that. Look at verse 15. Now I know there's no God in all the world except Israel. His trust intersected with God's faithfulness and he experienced a work of God in his life that he could not deny and he became a worshiper of the one true God that day. And Israel had just a moment of offering faith to people outside of their own ethnicity. Just that one little tiny moment. If, like Naaman, you're waiting for more spectacular, heroic ways to grow or for God to just, like, slime you with spiritual growth, it's just going to fall on me, man, like out of the clouds. Um, You'll never grow. Let me be Naaman's servant who is nameless here and go, hey, man, just go dip in the Jordan water seven times. Like Do the ordinary stuff that God has revealed. And when you trust him over and over, his power is going to show up in your life because he's faithful. In fact, I just want to say, this is, called, this is what a friend of mine is going to publish a book called Slow Faith. The ordinary means of grace, as we've defined it at Lake Forest Church, are discover. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through weekly worship and daily Bible reading belong and committed Christ-centered small groups where you do life together. And that's where the life of Christ is really mediated to Angie and I, year in, year out. It's through our community group where you share your tithes, talents, and, uh, uh, and what's that other thing? And time to help other people grow spiritually in your church and you go on the mission of God to serve an aching need in this community or in the world in the name of Jesus And you take joy while you see him do little bits of healing through the power of spirit of the Holy Spirit, and you happen to be standing there. May we be people of slow faith who follow Jesus in the mundane. And when we get to a well, I thought moment, we follow him anyway, and we trust him. And therefore we experience his power. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we see all through Scripture that you become real and alive to those who say, I don't understand it all, I don't have every question answered, but I trust you because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God, I'm going to move ahead in my life and trust you. And God, thank you for how many of us can tell stories of when we've trusted, you got involved in our life a way that we couldn't possibly mistake was anything other than you. And so Holy Spirit, today I have scatter a lot of different areas of life where we sometimes don't trust you. And we take a moment, and friends, just talk to the Holy Spirit. I bet the Holy Spirit might have brought something up in your spirit, where he's saying, trust me, trust me, trust me. What area of your life is that, and what is the step that represents trust? Talk to him for just a moment. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.